Hello and welcome to Comic Talkers, where comics are always the top of your discussion. I'm Bryce. I'm Mary. And I'm Brandon. And today we are talking about the Image comic by Donny Cates, Jeff Shaw, God Country. Now, this isn't my first time reading God Country, but it is your guys, correct? Yeah. Yes. So before we get into it, do you guys just want to give some like first impressions, some initial takeaways, maybe some pre-existing expectations? Like just what were your thoughts going into this book and immediately coming out of it? The art is what took me right, right away. It was phenomenal how they do the landscapes, everything like that. I always get enthralled by art first before I read the text. And that is something that when I read the first couple pages, I was like, okay, where is the story going? And then just seeing the landscapes they draw, it's just like, wow, that's so beautiful. Um, I didn't know much about this comic going into it. Um, when you pitched the story, I didn't know anything about it. Um, I literally mistaken it for a movie and TV show, and that's not what it was. Um, not yet, anyway. Donny Cates has said that a movie script has been written, but we'll see what happens with that. You know, pay pay your writers and actors fairly first of all before any of that, but we'll see what happens going forward. It's just one of those stories that it's a very quick story. It really is. And if you don't, I'll put it this way, and it's no spoiler. If you don't cry in the last two issues of the story, then you you just don't have no heart spans. I'm just going to say it right now. That's like my saying sometimes on the podcast. You don't cry, you have no heart in this because it is a very emotional story. It really is. It's that, you know, somebody given a second chance in life. And how are they going to perceive it? And how are they going to take advantage of it? But I didn't know tons. I grew, I actually loved the story after reading it. I've read it a couple times since. So it is just phenomenal. I'll turn the mic over to Mary to kind of give her thoughts. So going in, literally all I knew about this comic was that Bryce was like, Mary, you're going to like this. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> and have I steered um... you wrong yet? I think not. Not yet. You right. have not. This is very true. Um, and basically, as soon as I open the first page, I like to look at how comics start before I really like look at more at the art and um, the story itself. And basically, as soon as I saw like the first narration bubble and how the story started, I was like, oh, this is just the American Southern folktale tradition. And I was hooked, like sentence one. I was here for it. Um but one of the things that I really loved about it um, is the way that the story handles like the concept of intergenerational trauma. Um, that is such a huge theme. Um, and it's explored so masterfully. It's such a good story. <laughs> so ho hopefully um, when studios stop being awful, um, we can get this movie because I would like to own it. Well, that's what I was <laughs> Assuming it's do. done well. That's what I was going to ask. Would you like to see a movie or a show of it? Personally, I feel like a movie. A movie. A movie. It's six issues. Um, and it's a self, it's a show, like a mini series, I feel like would drag it out too long. As mm -hmm. you said, it's a quick story, quick read. Um, folk tales like this typically are able to be communicated in one sitting. Um, if you need to break it up into smaller pieces, you have done something wrong in your delivery. Personally. Yeah. 
right. Um, so, Mary, you brought up an interesting point, a point that I was actually planning on bringing up at some point throughout the episode. So I guess we can just go ahead and start with it. Um, what, what did you guys think of the narration? Because it is a very unconventional narration style compared to most comics. Like we've seen in this and other media before, but in comics, it's a very unconventional narration style. And I'm curious as to what you guys thought about that. Because I, I personally connected with it immediately being from the South myself. But see, I think that's where. Yeah. So, so you, you and I had that immediate sense of connection. <laughs> um, it's always, it's one of those things too, where like when you're reading it and you can see that the accent is written in a way that is not intended to mock, um, fills my little heart with joy. <laughs> Anytime I see Southern dialogue that's not written to look like it's from pulled from the pages of Snuffy Smith and Little Abner, I get so <laughs> elated. <laughs> I think um, the differences between you and you guys and me is that I'm not from the South. I'm from California. So having that, it was kind of like, at first it was kind of that mystery for me when they came to the narration. It's like, who's actually narrating the story? You, you knew it wasn't going to be the grandpa. You knew it was like, who is this story going to be? Who's going to be narrating this story? And I think it's it's that whole mystery for me that kept me enthralled. Like, okay, who's telling this story? Who's actually being that person that's controlling where the stories go? And I think that's one of, the, one of the things too that I really liked about it, especially as we get further into the narrative, is the way that what especially at the end where you really do figure out that like this is the descendant of the main characters of the story is how vague the narration is compared to what we're seeing on the page. Because yeah. um I'm sure that we've all got that that one, you know tall tale that's like passed down in the family um like we've all got the one um and it's intentionally vague so that no one can call you out on fibbing about anything but it's just close enough to what happened that like you get the gist of it yeah and it stirs the memory and lets you fill in those gaps so it's like the narration is that intentionally vague storytelling where it's like, now I ain't fibbing because if I didn't remember something, I just kind of glossed over it. But what we're seeing on the page in the actual comic part, aside from the narration, is we're seeing what actually happened. And so getting to see sort of how that fills in the gaps was really fun. Yeah. And you can really tell that this was a story that was told by word of mouth. Yes. Because of how vague it got the farther down the generations and the farther down through time compared to what we were seeing, which was the first-hand account. Right. And that's something that was really interesting. I did just look up where Donnie Cates was from just to kind of confirm my suspicions because this felt like very authentic Southern dialogue and Southern a, – a, a Southern way of speaking. He's from Dallas. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, anytime we don't get, like, anytime we don't get an I that's spelled starting with an A, I I know. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, my word. <laughs> Chris Claremont, or, I'm looking like, at you. three words that are, like, put together as one because as Southerners, we just say them so quickly together. Um. Also, like, the way that people misspell y'all gets me every time. Like, why is the apostrophe there? Those aren't different words. 
like YA doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but yeah, I digress. Um, I was gonna say, yeah, I don't mind if you put an apostrophe there, but put it in the right place. Yeah, like y'all has an apostrophe, just put it where it belongs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there is a correct way to spell these contractions. <laughs> oh yeah. So before we go any further into it, you know, I kind of want to tell my story with God Country a little bit because I, I've told you guys before, this was a book that connected with me probably on a much more personal level than the rest of us here. So the first time I read God Country was about three years ago. I read it in probably the fall, winter of 2020. Around the time I had read it, it was either right before or right after. You know what? Let, let me uh let me go through the premise first. Sorry to backtrack. Let me go through the premise first so the my story makes more sense. So basically, in a nutshell, this tells the story of Emmett Quinlan, who suffers with Alzheimer's and dementia. He's suffered with it for years. Can't remember anything, can't remember his own family, his child, his grandchild, anything. Barely can remember his own name. What happens is one day there is this storm that rolls through where Emmett lives. And after this storm, this sword falls. It's what the storm brought was this sword. And when Emmett picks up this sword, he can remember everything. The problem is that sword doesn't belong to him. And there are myth mythological gods that want their sword back. But when Emmett drops it, when he lets go of it, he forgets everything again. And so that's the basic premise. And when I read this for the first time in 2020, my great-grandfather had passed away at the age of 98 from dementia. And I want to say it was right after and you know, like I said, he lived a while. He lived a long time, so it wasn't like I was super tore up or anything. It was more of a good for him kind of sit kind of situation. But this book definitely provided me with some sense of comfort to a degree. And so, yeah, whenever I tell people, whenever I recommend this to people, I don't recommend it lightly because of how much it has meant to me over the years and it is one of those books that i will continue to recommend because i think even if you've not dealt with something like that there is something that you can take away from it whether it is the importance of memories whether it's the importance of having your family by your side there is always going to be something that somebody can take away from this and so that connected was just to that, my, I, my initial experience with it. Well, I'm sorry, Mary, what were you connected saying? Connected to that. Um, no, you, oh my God, you are fine. Um, I've mentioned in the History Through Comics segment that I used to work for a World War II oral history project focusing on the American home front. Um, and I was fortunate enough while I worked there to be able to interview my own grandfather. Um, and the way that Emmett in particular speaks when he's lucid um reminded me so much of the way that my grandfather talked when he'd be telling me stories and it hit so close to home oh yeah um, it 
And Emmett, when he was lucid, reminded me a lot of my grandfather in a lot of ways. He very much felt like the kind of man that would be like, oh, you're afraid of cows because you're three and they're like two ton animals. What if we covered you in feed and sat you out in the pasture until you got yourself cured of that? Um, like it just, the vibes were all there. Um, and it, it, it hit really close. Oh yeah, no, this is, while this isn't my favorite book from Image Comics, it is probably one of the most personal stories I've ever read. And it just really goes to show the amount of time and care that Kate and Shaw and Jason Wordy, the colorist, and just everybody involved put into this book. And so I kind of want to segue from that a little bit into talking about some of the individual characters, again, keeping it as spoiler-free as possible. But um, let's talk about Emmett for a sec. I mean, we can't, we can't talk about this book without talking about Emmett specifically. Overall, what did you guys think of where Emmett started and his journey and just what we saw him go through? and how he went about handling it. What what'd you guys think of Emmett, basically? So when it came to Emmett, I I grew in love. I fell in love with this character. I think he is a very interesting character that put a whole bunch of circumstances on him. Yeah, granted, he gets his memories back by holding the sword Malifax. But the sad thing is, it's like we said earlier, it's not his. And on top of it, it's the whole thing of, does he remain selfish, keep the sword, to live with his family or does he get the sword up it's one of those moral dynamics i think this is more of a moral story than it is a ethics story because morals it's that whole thing of he knows it's right to give it back but he wants to be selfish in the process and emmett even with the short time he does have and that's not spoiling it's just you don't know what's gonna happen at this point He's still able to make mends with people that he loves. He gets to get to know his granddaughter. There's a lot that he gets to do in that matter of a short time that he asks with them. It is he is a very personal character. I think everybody would love this character because I think everybody's been in that spot before. Might maybe not with something like that in his case, but it's something that do we do something because this is what we need to do and this is right? Or do we do something because it's selfish? And I think that's a pretty powerful point with him. I think you see that clear as day with his character. I'll turn it over to Marianne. I think, I think too, um, Emmett's sort of selfishness is one of the central themes of his character, mm -hmm. um, especially when you're looking at his relationship with his son, Roy. Yeah. Um, because from the get-go, we know that Emmett was not a good father. No. Um, uh, specifically, him, him looking at his son and just going, your mother hugged you too much, um, is such a visceral um, kind of indictment of who Emmett Quinlan has been. Um, but in wanting to get his memories back, um, he it's the selfishness of seeing what all he's lost by being how he's been. 
in looking at Roy and his granddaughter and his daughter-in-law and the family that they've made that we are led led to believe through inferences is a lot happier than the family that um, Emmett and his wife and Roy had when Roy was a child. Right, because we know that Roy is a more present and doting father than Emmett was. And so that that sort of whole dynamic there um, with Emmett trying to be the grandfather that he never could have been as a father. Um, and we see we see that kind of dynamic played out time and time and time again, especially with um, men of that generation in the South. Um, Bryce, I think you there is sort of that like every every parent has been like um like my mom specifically when I was growing up she'd be like my dad never told me he loved me and then he tells you that like every day um and I was like and I didn't like get the gravity of that when I was little and then like growing up it like hits you like a freight train um and like imagine like and we get to see Roy's reaction to that in a way that like when we are children we don't really see that in our own parents um and so it just, again, it's with that whole intergenerational trauma thing, like Emmett is an incredibly flawed character, but we see him at the end of his life sort of coming into a cycle of growth um, that even he is surprised by. Um, and a lot of times we do see older people sort of towards the end of their life, like come have a realization and like a come to Jesus moment with themselves about like, who do they actually want to be and who were they raised to be and where do those two things diverge and how can they get to where they want to be when they've spent their entire life being another way and yeah. Emmett just sort of encapsulates that condition to me exactly and when when you think about Emmett specifically having just got his memories back I think it really kind of hammered home to the idea of okay I just got these memories back and I know how dearly I'm holding them to the point where this sword, which yes, isn't mine, but it did choose me, is helping me retain these memories and helping me hold these memories dear. It really, like, I think it really made Emmett think about the idea of, okay, how do I want to be remembered? And, and there is something too to be said about the fact that Valifax does choose Emmett. Um, that is one of the huge plot points at the beginning of the comic is that, you know, the god, one of the gods comes to reclaim Valifax and is told by Valifax itself that no, it picked Emmett Quinlan. And so there is, um, and I was, I was, I recommended this comic to someone else and I was talking about it with them, but there is something to be said too about the way that Valifax could in some ways be viewed as like a home health provider who is able to help um, bring your family members lucidity by not fighting against um, the loss of their memories, but going with it. Because when you're trained in helping people with Alzheimer's and dementia, you know that it's easier to just go along with whatever it is they think is happening as opposed to like trying to correct them like a lot of families will do and we do sort of see like the way that Roy and his wife are like barging into Emmett's house or like we kind of get the sense that the interesting dynamic that they have there is not necessarily lending itself to a dynamic in which Emmett is being coddled because Roy never was right yeah. um 
<clears throat> and so there there's a lot to be said about the way that like Valifax is its own character despite the fact that like he doesn't talk all that much oh yeah i will i will say his interaction with d had me with with uh with dina yeah, yeah. <laughs> i am not no toy i am this blade i'm the god of blades i'm like oh. double double negative there brandon you sure you're not from the south i don't know i think we're rubbing off on you i think so between between us and emma quinlan no, I'm just messing. <laughs> I do think it's fun that like every time Bryce and I are on the same episode, that like you can hear the accent get thicker progressively. I have heard that from oh your end a lot, Mary. Like you've gone bigger with your accent at points. So I, I mean, I'm working on trying to stop hiding it generally, but like it is impossible when I'm talking with Bryce. Oh yeah, no, it's I, I've noticed. I've noticed a couple times talking to you that my accent has gotten a little bit thicker. I, I, I'm farther south than you are so <laughs> we're we're both out here making each other a little more like we're from the holler <laughs> oh my word I t- wait till i get you to read basilisk oh i've i've already started reading basilisk you got me reading it and i ended up giving it to brenda on top of it to read it but now i agree with you mary on that end when it comes to valifax i love that they portray him not as just a blade but as a person and that yeah. in some way he is that one person or the one thing that's going to bring this family together one way or another. And it's like Aristus does say, which is the God of War, states that the blade just doesn't just fall into somebody's hands. The blade is, they choose who they want to be wielded by. So that's the whole mystery too, is why did Valifax choose Emmett to hold the blade? And that sort of ties too into, sorry, Bryce, I'm sure you want to talk. I just have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> um, what we see at the very beginning of the comic, before we ever encounter Valifax, when we're still just learning about the tornado that it comes out of, um, it's everyone in this county will tell you that Emmett Quinlan was a god. And we don't really know when that moniker was attributed to him, if it was after this or before. Yeah. Not uh, shoot. I never. I never thought about that. My guess would be. Um, you know, I really don't even have a guess on that one. But I. I never. That's how people will describe each other like that down here. Like it's just one of those things. Oh yeah, no. In small towns, like even living people become legends of sorts. Like even so, if we go something with more mainstream for a second, look at the the role that John and Martha Kent had in Smallville. Mm-hmm. In my town, we have a weatherman. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, he's one of, like, Emmett could have been one of those guys that just everybody knew, everybody looked up to, everybody could count on. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily, like, again, not the best father in the world, to say the least but, but there is, maybe and there the is too though that. that culture in the south where it's like well it's not my family so it's none of my business yeah um and that's a huge part of like how people are raised um and so like we see the police who like clearly know <laughs> what is up with emmett yeah um 
but there is also very much clearly that respect that they have there for him and Roy as his kin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we do very much get the concept that like Emmett was someone. And that's part of what makes his diagnosis so tragic for everyone. Absolutely. Now, one one thing I do want to talk about while somewhat staying on the topic of Emmett, just briefly, because Brandon, you mentioned um, Aristus, and that is another character that I want to touch on for a second. Um, the way that Valifax chose Emmett I loved how the story made it more evident as to why Valifax chose Emmett gradually as we went along, either through Valifax telling us why he chose Emmett or Emmett just making making it abundantly clear through his actions and through his motivations that he was worthy of Valifax. And, and just, it's a, think, yeah, it's a, go ahead. And and with with Aristus, there is this really like great parallel between him and Roy, mm -hmm. where there is that sort of like undying loyalty to the father that like isn't very good to you. Yeah, to the point of reluctance, even. Mm -hmm. Yes. But what we do see with with Roy is that he's willing to break out of that while Aristus is not. And Valifax sees, I think, not just um, why Emmett, but Roy when he's picking Roy. Um, and of course, that goes in with the end too, um, which we're not going to do spoilers. No. Um, but Emmett does what Aristus won't which is forge his own path. Emmett does not conform to expectations. He might not know what he's doing, but it's going to be his choice. But can I say something about Aristus too really quickly? I think for all the God of Wars we have seen in comics, he's, I wouldn't say the weakest, he's kind of the most sympathetic one we have ever seen. It kind of okay, but the more we learn about his family, it does make me wonder: Was he meant to be the god of war? That's exactly what I was thinking too. That's an approach you could take, or part of what I took away from it was um, that I've always like the objective in starting a war is to ultimately end a war and achieve a time of peace. Great, the warped motivation and it's a warped method. But ultimately, when you start a, war, start a war, the end goal is peace. So it almost makes sense to me that Aristus would be a peaceful god of war. Right. Because that's all, that almost comes, I, at least the way I view it, that's almost the purpose. Like It could also be in the way that like the ancient Greeks viewed Athena, where she was a goddess of war, but her focus was strategy, not necessarily combat itself. Right. Yeah, it wasn't like Ares. There are multiple aspects to war. Because when you get that sense of him, when he first comes to Earth to take over, and again, this isn't spoilers because we've already kind of revealed what his purpose was the first time he came down to Earth, which was to obtain the blade. Yeah, this, is, this, is, this is within the first couple of issues, yeah. so we are staying out of the meat of the story. When you get to that point, 
where he comes down and he like Valifax like speaks out like you don't speak to me that way. I'm the god of blades. You will respect me. Now rise and be forgiven, but if you speak to me again like that, it's like he puts himself like in a fetal position a little bit with the wrist. Well, I think too war cannot be waged without a weapon. Exactly. It's he has to be subservient to Valifax. But for cuz without Valifax, he doesn't but to be totally honest, I kind of liked Aristus a little bit more. And the reason is I liked Aristus more than Emmett is because Aristus is actually kind of an interesting character because you see that confliction between them. And I, it's like Mary said too, that whole confliction of was he meant to be the god of war? Was he meant to be, you know, it's like he's always trying to find his father's approval. And he never finds it. You know, or every time he does, it never goes the way he wants to. And with Aristus too, we really see that he is also aware that there is no chance of him gaining his father's approval. And yet he spies for it anyway, which is something that we also see Roy reject. Yeah. Where Roy sort of comes to an understanding of himself that he is never going to get Emmett's approval, that he is so different from what Emmett wants his son to be. But that's not going to stop Roy from being his son. Right. And so it's kind of like Roy takes on this quest of like self-determination that Emmett is doing, but in a different direction while being the foil to Aristus. Okay. Yeah. And y'all are pointing out stuff to me that even after two reads. <laughs> the beauty of comics, people. Beauty, beauty. I love the way we're doing it because it's a point that everybody perceives the story in a different way you know there's different aspects that all of us pick up on that it's a matter of how we learn from it too it makes us help understand the story a little bit better exactly exactly now one more thing i want to ask you guys did you have any nitpicks or negatives with the book that you would like to bring up like i i I would say um roy's wife but even then she's not meant to be one of the main characters it's just a side character to one of the main characters yeah but to me i kind of wanted to see more of her interpretation of things that were going on like from an outsider view compared to seeing it from roy's or emmett's or aristus's eyes i wanted to see it from an outside point of view like yeah especially with the line that they had her use towards roy at a point in the book i'm not going to say when or what the context was but roy roy is quite clearly a christian yeah and he was praying at one point to jesus and she just out of nowhere started ridiculing him for that and we don't see any reason as to what would have drove her to that, why she did that, the thought process, her thought process behind disliking that all of a sudden. And so, yeah, that's one, that's one of my few negatives with this is just there, there were certain choices made with Roy's wife that just seemed out of nowhere. Like, I feel that's where the story, like she is under an incredible amount of stress yeah oh yeah no absolutely Um, so like and like 
Roy obviously could not have anticipated any of this, but like it is his dad. <laughs> so like he has a better understanding of what to expect being around Emmett than his wife does. That is fair. But like you can't expect this. But he is at least a little more prepared for like imminent chaos, it seems. Um, he also knows the house because it's the house he grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the wife is very much in a completely new environment. Um, her daughter stuff has happened in Dina. Um, <laughs> stuff has happened to Roy, stuff is happening to Emmett. There was a tornado, a giant demon crawled out of the tornado. She's got a lot going on. And I think that like I don't know personally like if I was in a situation where like all of that had happened to my kid and like we were getting attacked on all sides by like a magical um menagerie of enemies and I had just seen a demon crawl out of a tornado and a giant talking sword show up in the hand of my father-in-law and like I had met a god and then (laughs) um like the person next to me was just like instead of doing anything um like physically useful just started praying I'll be like what the what are you doing (laughs) Um, I feel like I understand her a little bit because, like, we have to look at everything that's happened to her in like a two-day period of time. Oh no, yeah, no, and I think that's what that's what me and Brandon were kind of saying too. Is we wish we would have seen things more from her perspective the way that we did, Royce, because some of her moments because... were kind of like they were random. They they really were. It kind of threw you off, like, okay, why are you saying that? You know, or what's your purpose? Because... Yeah, because for a large portion of the book, she seemed like she could have been a really interesting character. But for a large portion of the book, she seemed like she was just relegated to making sure Dina stays out of trouble. Or kind of just driving Roy a little bit more to do what he has to do. Yeah, and a lot of women in books are relegated to that sort of status. So it... But see, that... um, but kind of going back to the narration that's kind of why i liked it because again it could have been his wife it could have been his daughter it could have been anybody we didn't know that was really telling the story yeah and in some ways i kind of was hoping it was the wife i kind of was hoping and for all we know she was the one who passed it down yeah that is a very good point yes um, because a lot of times with these folk tales, you're you're hearing it from like a grandmother. Yeah. Grandfathers are, no, are notoriously tight-lipped. A grandmother will tell you anything. <laughs> you imagine her telling the kids the story of her, um, like I told your daddy the why was he praying kind of thing. Imagine the story. And then how that gets extrapolated. Um, <laughs> one thing that I thought was really interesting, um, and this this is like I thought this was a more local thing, um, like to like my little holler area specifically. Um, but um, when Roy talks about how he was praying for for Emmett's death, there is a um, and then the demon came. There there's a folklore superstition in my area called uh, Feldgeister or field demons, field ghost. Um, which is basically like if you pray for someone's death often enough, they're gonna haunt you in your field and become as a demon wait in your cornfield to get you and i was like i thought this was local <laughs> I was like i didn't know this went to texas <laughs> oh my word so okay i would I say part of part of what i took away too especially with you know roy praying to the christian god of course it reminded me of 
character in the Bible, it almost reminded me, especially with his wife in that moment. Did you guys ever read the story of Job? Yes. And how, like, his wife, for all we know, like, his wife wasn't an evil person or anything. But it just got to the point where when Job kept praying, she did kind of look at him and be like, what are you doing? You're Like, you're still on that? It's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's Again, interesting. In her defense, God was literally destroying their entire family. That's... <laughs> That's a that's a whole that's a whole different discussion. I mean, it, like I said, it depends on what you take away from the story. I never I never looked at it as God doing it, but I mean, it it does depend on how you how yeah. you, how you read that particular story, I guess. Yeah. But just like putting it in the context of the God Country comic, it's just one of those interesting scenarios to me where you look at like how writers can kind of pull from each other from all throughout the ages and take inspiration from literature all throughout the ages right another another thing that really got to me was the etymology of um, roy's name specifically um because roy is a name that means king and so sort of his entire arc and how the book ends just and especially when we see um, the gods really struggling so much, like with the idea of kingship, um, it was just a really interesting like tidbit. It was probably unintentional, but I liked it. <laughs> well, I mean, and that that creates an interesting like look forward because of who narrates the book, which I, I won't I won't say exactly how they're associated with this family, but. It it does it does make you think, because what if Emmett's actions caused Roy to not even necessarily step into like a king role per se, but almost be like this spearhead for future generations of his family into the leadership role. Yes, and kind of become that figure that Emmett throughout his arc was, was becoming, becoming. yes any of that i'm realizing now this is a very difficult book to talk about without spoilers so it's okay but, next month is too yeah <laughs> I, again i i highly encourage anybody that hasn't read this book to go read it it will probably be one of the most personal comics that you ever read and you know it's it's a quick read that that is one of my selling points it's a quick read you will walk away feeling like you gained something from it yeah and it is a book that while entertaining will also stick with you for so many reasons you guys have anything else you'd like to add it, if you want a good it's like you guys said it's like a folktale in some ways as well if you guys like folktales and you guys love seeing, you know, um, an interesting story of morals and how you look at things in life, I'm not going to lie. It made me view different things differently than I always have after reading this. Um, 
and I'm not going to explain why I think people do need to read this. It is a comic that it kind of goes under the radar a lot compared to other things that Image does. But well, even compared to anything Donny Cates does, because this was like his this was his big break essentially. Yeah, it's one of those stories that I think everybody should read. I, I give it a ten out of ten. It's made my top five, book, you know, Image comics of all time. I know it made Bryce's top five. It is a very powerful story, and it really does speak from the heart. And I'm already planning another reread of it just because in my notes for this, um, I did have another thought that I just, we do not have the time to explore in depth. <laughs> Looking at the concept of like destroying a world to pass something on to your children and the way and the role that like Texas has had in American westward expansion and like the way that like the Quinlan house is framed in this sort of like westward expansionist context. Um, God, I want to explore that so much more on my next read. But there, and that's one of the great things I love about this comic because I've read it like six times now. <laughs> um, just because I keep going back. I'll be like, I'll pick up a thread and I'll go, oh, okay, I want to read it with this lens this time. And I'm still not done. <laughs> <laughs> oh no this is one I, I plan on revisiting many more times in the future and it's just again another point i would have liked to have brought up but again we just don't have the time for it is like the lengths that a father will go even if it's later on and even if it's through a moment of realization the lengths that a father will go to continue to have their child in their life like it's it's not only a story about like the importance of memories, but it's about a father's love as well. Right. And you not only see that through Emmett, but you see it through Roy too, because of the lengths that Roy goes when something happens. Something to happens to Dina. Yeah. Um, viewers, Dina is okay at the end. Um, nothing too terrible happens to the small child. Yeah. <laughs> That is one thing that we we are okay spoiling, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she does not die. She is not seriously injured. <laughs> no. But things she do happen. Remains, she remains a happy small child at the end. Yeah. If a little confused about everything that just happened. <laughs> Understandably so. Okay, well, that is everything. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, go out and buy a copy of God Country somehow and read it as soon as you can. I promise you, you will not regret it. We all three endorse it. We all three recommend it. Definitely go out and buy this book and let us know what you think. You know, come back and comment after you read it. Let, let us know what you think. And again, once more, my name is Bryce. I'm Mary. And I'm Brandon. And may comics always be the top of your discussion. See you guys later. <laughs>